Te he visto en los inicios. Estaba para aguantar el invierno bien, ¿eh? Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. Yo, welcome to episode 106 of the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a Semi Pro Cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's giving someone shit about being fat in Spanish. I'll explain later. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash tech. And of course, we're getting started today with a quick review. Excellent resource. Five stars from Mike Bike in mass from the US. I have been searching for cycling podcasts that provide useful information and not just drawn out opinionated jibber jabber. I have finally found it. Damien Roos delivers and reports on topics that are applicable to cyclists of all ages and interests. Damien is concise and to the point, and he seems like an all-round good guy. The podcast has improved my cycling and is fun to listen to. This is a phenomenal podcast. Mike from Boston, Massachusetts. Mike, I really appreciate that review. Personally, you're being very kind to me, but also to the show, and I'm glad that you do get so much out of it. And a reminder to you that if you do like the show, I would love, 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 love a review. If you just take some time out to write one on either Stitcher or iTunes because five stars makes me think I'm bulletproof, yes I'm bulletproof. I'm bulletproof, yes I'm bulletproof. I'm bulletproof, yes I'm bulletproof. What you don't believe me, go ahead and try to shoot. Thank you very much. Now, the performance probe this week and the first article, well, it's actually a YouTube channel from Rashan. Bahadi, I hope I got his name there. I'm not the best with names, as we all know. But he's a crit racer from Southern California, and hat tip to Andrew for sending this one through. Rashan himself has been around a while. He's even won the USA Crit Champs in 2008. So this guy knows what he's talking about, and basically his channel is him with a GoPro or whatever camera mounted on his bike, and it's the last five, four, three laps of criteriums in and around Southern California. There's also some pretty decent background music to it, but here is the best bit. It is Rashan himself talking through these last laps. He's positioning the people around him, what he's thinking, all this great information that you rarely get an insight into. He is discussing it. He is an absolute boss. These videos are awesome. His commentary is awesome. One of the best reasons is because he is a contender. He's always in the mix. He's not always winning, but he is always up there. I highly recommend it. The commentary is spot on. He knows how to read a race. And these races in particular have been his bread and butter for a long time. So I think everybody listening that races criteriums or even just wants to get a general view of race tactics will get a lot from these videos. 
I've got a link to my favourite one, which is the Brentwood Grand Prix Bike Race 2014 Pro 1-2 from Five Laps to Go. It is my favourite. It's a really cool insight. And just speaking of Roshan himself, he's a little controversial, but I say he's a very interesting character. He does a lot of good for the sport at a junior level. I'll link to an interview that digs in a little deeper into this man of mystery. Article 2 is the perfect tuck from the specialized wind tunnel video. Their series is called the wind tunnel. And I find it super interesting because I've been seeing a shift in the pro peloton lately towards sitting on the top tube position as their tuck. The standardization of a tuck is interesting to me because we have always seen different riders have different approaches, but now maybe they're basing it on data. And so this is an interesting experiment because maybe they know something that we don't. So there's three positions that are tested for top speed at the end of a fictitious minus 6% descent. And it's when you're totally spun out and you just have to lock into that position and hold on for the ride. A quick note here, it's a pretty simple look at aero and there are a few other factors not considered here, but it is super fun nonetheless. So the first one was a traditional tuck. On the drops, elbows and knees in, bum lifted slightly off the saddle, and the speed was 61 kilometers at the bottom of the fictitious hill. The second one is the same, except the hands are now in the middle of the bars close to the stem. And this one has always been my preferred tuck, with elbows and knees as close to touching as possible. I always lean right forward, and if I can, I touch my chest to the bars and get my head right down in between the brake levers close to the front wheel. It's super aggressive, and it's a little taxing on the quads, but I always whip past a lot of riders when I'm in this one, so it has been a favorite of mine for years. But the speed... For this one, at the bottom of the fictitious hill, was 64 kilometers. So we've got a three kilometer gain over the traditional tuck. The third and final one is the one that we're seeing in the pro pillow, and it's ass off the saddle, jammed at the corner of the top tube and seat post, but hands now back on the drops. And the speed for this one was 68 kilometers. Bam! That is a 7 kilometer per hour difference from the first one and a 4 kilometer from the second one. That's possibly why it's so popular. I'm guessing some of the pros have seen tests like this or have seen some data or at least spoken to other pros or someone that's recommending this tuck. So there you have it. That is pretty interesting stuff and... A quick note here, what I find strange and a little annoying, at the end of the video they say that other athletes have tested faster in other positions. I know the aero thing is a personal thing, like if you ride at a certain head angle, then you have to choose a helmet based on that head angle, but absolutely whatever, maybe you should run your own real life test and see what happens, because regardless of these test results, I think the final tuck position is actually a better replacement for my old standby number two, because it looks safer, hands are on the drops, so a bit more stability there, and you can give your legs somewhat of a rest compared to standing the entire time. So maybe it's a little uncomfortable, but you can give get a bit of a break plus hasn't sitting on the top tube always been cool all righty then let's get to the nuts and bolts and this week we're talking about my predictions for the future of bike tech and performance a bit of a fun one today i just 
absolutely love this stuff. I love talking technology and bike performance. So what are we talking about exactly today? The predictions for the next five years of cycling technology. Some are going to become a reality and some are just on the pure dream list. Hopefully, if you have the skills, I will inspire you to get out there and give this a go and produce some of these cool things. This is a bike and tech training list only though. I may have to do another show with the body and training technology that I see in the future. It's a super exciting field, but it's very fast-paced, so just bikes for now. And definitely a hat tip to Darren Taylor for a few of the suggestions in this episode, which an important point that he brought up is how technology is all dependent on the UCI. So the governing body has so much power that it has stopped me from purchasing, say, Chinese-branded carbon wheels and is holding me back from buying a disc brake roadie. So they have a lot of power to direct this technology and control it. Not as much as, say, F1, but definitely they can stop any technological progressions they like, and we have seen that in the past, but we've also seen that slightly unraveling now with the new executive management of the UCI. So while it's possible that these things could be banned, I'm going all out. So let's get on with it. The first one, eyewear. And if you know anything about eyewear technology, you know about Recon Jet Heads-Up Display. They're an industry leader in this department, even though their cycling product hasn't been released yet. The other one is Google Glass, which is also kicking around, but it's not really for the sports market just yet. Maybe in the future, if it's a little lighter and a little sexier, it can be adapted. But my predictions in this space include the inevitable reduction in size and geekiness of heads-up displays, but mainly it's the functionality that is where the action will be and heads-up display to me is a safer and better option to display your live data so my prediction is that anything made available on a computer will have the option for heads-up display what do i think will be made possible on bike computers i've got that a little further down the list so you're just gonna have to hold tight for a moment until we get there the second one gears and more about shifting than gears but a little bit about the gears themselves wireless and we have already seen the emergence of the new SRAM wireless group set and I see this paving the way for Shimano and maybe Campag to follow of course they'll follow but they'll just take a little longer electronic technology will trickle down to the lower groups and into mountain biking at lower group set levels as well my prediction here is that sequential shifting, which sounds super awesome to me, I see it becoming a common option, making the left-hand shifter optional, but I also see a bunch of other things connected to this, and I guess you're starting to see a central theme here where everything will be driven from a central hub. I'm going to hold tight on that prediction as well. The third one, disc brakes. And yes, they are coming to a race pillow near you soon. Once the UCI sorts out regulation, they will be here. I definitely think they are the future. But my prediction, and this is a prediction from Darren, that ABS for bicycles could be a possibility. I think it's definitely possible if they are computer controlled and automatically modulated. Maybe there's not a great need for them on the road, but definitely off-road. If you can save time by not locking wheels up in certain areas or being able to better control the modulation of your braking, then I think that's going to be an advantage and speeds will increase, not just cross-country, but also in downhill and enduro downhill. 
Staying on the dirt now for a moment longer, suspension is just begging to be dialed in electronically. RockShox, in conjunction with Lamprey Ghost, already offers electronically controlled suspension. But my prediction here is that what if you could hone a complete cross-country Olympic course for specific settings depending on your GPS positioning? That would be super cool so you don't have to think about it at all during a race. But also, you could have automatic adjustment for percentage grades or even accelerations where the suspension gets stiffer so that you can get that power out. Now, it's possible and I definitely think it's coming to a bike near you soon. The next one is power meters and they are one of the first things that a racing cyclist thinks about when you are talking tech and riders with them talk about how to optimize their training better with them and the ones that don't talk about the price. So my predictions in this space and the first one was from Darren which I 100% agree with OEM fit. So companies like Shimano will be using the Panasonic technology that has been developed for Panasonic's power meter and incorporate a power meter directly into their own cranks. Yes, I see an option for Dura-Ace crank sets to have a built-in power meter within the next five years and it may even trickle down lower. My second prediction is a new standard based on accuracy. So a shift away from something is better than nothing power meter measurement and we're starting to see the technology now where power meters are becoming a true instrument rather than a vague data collection device the standard will update and all of the information around it will become very important when making comparisons between riders in teams and also between all riders so people are actually making accurate and legitimate comparisons about a rider's performance and my third and final prediction for power meters is while I do see a new standard of power meter based around accuracy there is still room for a cheaper option so I also see a segment of the market offer a cheaper option a cheaper power meter and I say around the $400 mark It's going to have to be retrofittable to your bike, so I see it going on cranks and available as separate units, not attached to any part of the crank, so it can minimize the cost. And we're talking something like a stages here that you can put on yourself, and it goes on both crank arms. The next one I've got here is cameras, and... With the flurry of action cameras entering the market recently, we're really starting to see the potential of what can be done with the technology size and how to put it on a bike. Plus, we're thinking broader about how it connects to other parts of the bike and then how it can be used in training and racing applications. So as each company tries to differentiate themselves, they're starting to offer their own take on cameras. And this can only mean good things for us, the consumer. So Garmin's Verb, with its integration with Garmin Edge, is a great start for usability, for example. But I see that, say, Shimano's groundbreaking race footage will definitely be regulated by the UCI, and they'll be trying to make money through broadcasting rights. So we'll definitely see live pictures from races with telemetry of at least basic information, because I know it's a lot different to a race car where you can display everything. It's not going to change anything with an analysis, but power information, riders are still sensitive to displaying their power information now. So my big prediction here is better integration into frames, so built into frames or accessories like handlebars and seat posts, connecting to a central battery and taking my cue from the cerevellum unit that displays a rear-facing camera on the handlebars. It's essentially an expensive rear view mirror that would be handy for racing and safety as well.
By the way, if you don't know about the cerebellum unit, it's a pretty sexy looking head unit that is linked to a camera on the rear. It seems like they are AWOL though. So I don't know exactly what's happening with that product, but there was so much potential with that product that it is a real shame if they're just disappearing forever. And while we're talking about the computer end, we start to get to the heart of the operation. HQ, the computers and displays first. I think they're going to evolve like smartphones, bigger screens and lower in profile. That's a pretty easy guess for me. Also, what came along with the evolution of smartphones is the processing power that will be available. And we're not going to be held back by big companies in this space now. So we're not going to be have a Garmin that is holding technology hostage just so they can move units that they've already produced. I see the computers over the next five years will have better performing and better looking touchscreen options. And we can start to see this with the release of the Polar V650. That's just the start of it. I think they're going to get better and better from there. And again, the Cerevelum Hindsight 35 really looked like a viable contender here, but because it has gone AWOL, I can't recommend it. The new face of bike computing will be something like the Magellan Cyclo 505, which can record your gears, but a whole lot more as well. It's a standalone unit that uses a Bluetooth connection with your phone. It includes wireless music control of your phone's music and text message notifications and alerts. It's great for training, not so useful for racing, but compared to Yahoo's Reflect that relies on a phone to work, this can be a standalone unit for those rough and tumble races. The Cyclo 505 also gives us a glimpse of what's coming. It can display gearing, DI2 battery status, as well as alerts and warnings that can be triggered below a certain level. But the ability to control gears is where my focus is at. I don't know if you saw that video from one or two years ago where they actually got brainwaves to control gears. Something similar, but a slightly more manual process. So my prediction here is that you could potentially have a target wattage for a time trial or any type of training and the unit can automatically control the gearing to stay within that target wattage. You could theoretically do this for anything, wattage, heart rate, cadence or whatever and have it pre-programmed to a training plan. Imagine a whole workout on a road bike just like erg mode on a trainer. You can set a ride based on that and there is no getting around it if you have to pull those certain wattages then it is set in there. Also it currently records your gears so this is excellent data to see the progression over time and by the way the Edge 1000 also records and displays gear selection and an extra feature the unit will show how many shifts you made with the front and rear derailleur and like I mentioned earlier heads up display of all of these features now we're moving into really high-tech stuff and advanced telemetry systems they use sensors to track data feeds and thus enable real-time strategy and decision-making. And this is all about data collection in F1, which F1 is the gold standard for spending a whole lot of money on getting faster, is now collecting 2,000 statistics per lap. We're talking tire data, weather data, fuel data, position data, and they all feed into one system that is constantly churning out the optimum race strategy. So this data hunt for F1 is a hot issue at the moment, and teams are looking for every edge they can get. And it's not just about what they collect, it's about how fast they can collect and compute it. So Teams like Red Bull, before every race, AT&T installs a custom-built fiber optic network 
for the Red Bull Racing Team. And for example, at the US Grand Prix circuit in 2013, it brought 120 miles of cabling. And while I don't see this happening in cycling per se, I see a tightening of how data is managed with pro teams, and hopefully it trickles down to the lower levels. It would be a huge step up from what happens now, which is one person on a team managing every single person's power meter and computer, along with a suitcase full of chargers. They upload that data on shitty Wi-Fi connections across Europe, sending the data back to Team HQ for analysis. So you contrast this with F1. Red Bull Racing uses the fiber optic data network to give its racing cars an advantage during a race. 100 telemetry sensors in the car relay metrics like speed, pressure, airflow in 7 to 10 milliseconds from the Silverstone circuit in the UK to data analysis both in their factory in the UK and the wind tunnel in Bedford in southern England as well as their engine manufacturer Renault in eastern France 400 kilometers away and even if you're racing in Australia it takes 300 milliseconds which is near instantaneous to get back to the UK factory and how much data they're using around 200 gigabytes of data goes to the factory every race weekend that is more than triple the amount of three years ago so real-time telemetry is definitely happening at some point in cycling it's already happening in track cycling training of course with British Cycling and their partnership with McLaren Chris Boardman has been the director of research for British Cycling for a long time and he talks about data gathering that is happening in the background and each rider has a transponder on their back rather than a coach lining people up, timing them, writing it in a book and then someone analysing that information. That's now all automatic. What that means is the coach is freed up to reflect on what's going on and The time is spent analyzing the huge amounts of data that they do get. So he says it frees up the imagination and it's the really hard part to quantify. The data and the numbers help you change athletes' behavior. The reason that they looked in this direction was because cycling hit a wall very early on where you don't have the time to analyze all of your riders. It's not like an F1 car where there's just one driver in a car. There's lots of riders that you've got to look at, lots of different patterns for. And everything was done in spreadsheets up until this point and they weren't able to capitalize on the data they were getting. So the collection wasn't really a problem. It was how they were analyzing that data afterwards so they could actually make changes to training or the athlete quicker. So what do they send? As we heard, McLaren sends a whole bunch of things that are irrelevant to cycling. But there has been cycling-specific sensors developed The specialized B-Box, for example, is another data acquisition system which is currently for training, equipment choice, and race strategy before a race. It transmits power, speed, direction, and lean angle. It has freaking laser beams for road positioning, ride sensors that point up to the chin and chest to see rider altitude compared to the optimum position. And it also has a yaw sensor to see the lean angle in turns. And Specialized are at the forefront of this technology. And the link with motorsports is evident in their performance program team because they have experts with former Formula One experience. So they have a driver, an ex-F1 driver, Jano Trulli, and a telemetry expert, Gianni Sala, plus MotoGP telemetry specialist, Matto Flamingi, who works with Valentino Rossi and is also a keen cyclist, and former professional rider, Paxi Villa, now works for Specialized. But it's not all about the big bike and tech companies because 
Let's not forget Robbie Ketchell's bat box from episode 69. The bat box contains several sensors, including differential pressure sensors to gauge wind speed, as well as humidistat, temperature gauge, and barometer. And a quick reminder that if you know these three parameters, then you can calculate air density. If you know that and wind speed, you can calculate relative velocity, which is the rider's actual speed plus the force of whatever headwind, even from a side angle, he is fighting against. So these three-dimensional tilt sensors counteract bike sway and account for wind angle so my predictions for this area after all of that mumbo jumbo advanced telemetry will capture these in real time and transmit them to either a team car for the ds or to a base station for rapid analysis and on the fly decisions that will affect racing I do believe there'll be extra things thrown in here, so they'll be capturing extra things. So everything mentioned, plus helmets that will show head movement and what's happening during rides, say time trials, for example, and heart rate straps will be a thing of the past. They will adapt the latest LED technology, so it will become norm for a wrist strap, for example, or like we've seen, having them in a helmet lining, so there'll be no more chest straps. But the biggie for me is integrating all of these sensors and technology into a frame. If it's not on a race bike because UCI won't allow it, then definitely it will be on a specific training bike and there will be software that goes along with that. And that news to the next area I'm going to talk about, which is what do you do with the data? And that is another question entirely. So software is the next area I want to talk about. And data analysis is, of course, going to be the next thing to make telemetry workable and the data relevant. But For non-pro teams, it's going to be about post-ride analysis. To see this, we are going to need to change the way the bike computer operating system and analysis software work. Real-time data and real-time analysis is going to be the main feature of this software. And this real-time data is going to rely on big data. And this is where we start to get to my favorite stuff. And I see them merging together so Right now, we have companies that have done a poor job of offering both hardware and software, but I see one company taking over both hardware and software, or one company building the go-to training app for on and off the bike. So my predictions in the area of software, when you're talking pre-ride, we are definitely going to get the ready-to-ride metrics. We will have the process power for Dr. Stephen McGregor et al. control entropy metric which makes it possible to quantify how much you're exerting yourself it's basically able to tell you if you're fatigued and shouldn't train without actually having to do an effort and that's just from your data and in real time we'll see that on a bike computer it wasn't possible a few years ago because of the lack of computer power and high-speed data streaming rates during the ride for the rider we'll see real-time updates in wind direction may even how that applies to which side of the echelon you should be going on, where you should be positioned on the road to protect yourself. We'll also see the training and racing with a power meter innovations become a reality in real time. So things like the optimal training intervals will automatically be calculated for you and tell you to go home if you're not hitting certain intensities. And we'll also see, like I said, the integration of rear-facing cameras and displays on computer screens 
in front of you so you can see any attacks that are happening or for safety reasons during training. During the ride for a DS or a team coach, on a kind of separate note, they'll have their own sensors in the car that relate to weather and things, or at HQ for weather conditions, we'll see high-powered analysis of real-time information for training or otherwise, so during races, we'll see communication between riders get better, either from the DS or the road captain, where messages can be displayed on screens, or certain instructions can be given to riders a lot easily, and they can talk to each other during a race, and as a coach i'm thinking about remote coaching so being in someone's ear while they're out doing efforts but you're able to see all of their data while it's happening you're checking in halfway through a ride to see if they're getting the work done etc etc and post ride automatically produce reports based on the type of ride it is so all of the information is automatically analyzed and given to you and it makes suggestions for the next ride whether it's recovery or intensity prescriptions so that's all i've got And I actually want to flip it over to you. I would love to hear your predictions for the future of bike tech. What does the next five years hold? Shorter upgrade cycles, more talk about batteries, and of course, more money for companies. Let me know your thoughts on the website in the comments section, and we can get a bit of a discussion going about what is going to happen over the next five years. Okay, so moving to the tech hacks and product section, and again, I'm going to be a little cheeky here and talk about semi-pro cycling offer, specifically our coaching packages, and I've revised our coaching packages for the 2015 season or even the 2014 cyclocross season. Depending on where you are in your season, the racing is going to start to dry up over the next four to six weeks. So it's time for reflection. It's time for season analysis and it's time for forward planning. So I thought this is the right time to announce coaching packages so you can start to think about whether these options are applying to you and you want to step your game up and you want to get a little more serious, a little more analytical, a little more structured in your training. These will offer the perfect way for you to do that. So I'm offering three individual packages and two group packages. The first individual package is the Espoir package. It's the most economical one offered, and I think it's best for someone that's just wanting to check out what structured training is about. It's for someone that is highly motivated and doesn't need a lot of hand-holding or doesn't want to discuss their rides in detail or their analysis in detail, but you still want a great training plan and the occasional check-in with somebody. You definitely get the same personalized training plan that the other packages offer. It's just that you get less contact with with me or another coach. The second package is the semi-pro package, and this is the most popular package that I offer. It's the best all-round package because it's great value for goal-oriented athletes who value more guidance, support, and accountability to really push them forward. But the semi-pro coaching package provides a really great combination of coaching expertise, responsiveness, and schedule adjustments to accommodate for changing priorities. It starts at 247 a month, and it allows me to be a little more involved with your cycling. The final individual package is the Pro, and this is the most comprehensive package that Semi-Pro Cycling offers, and it's an all-in package. You get all the resources, you get all the accountability, interaction, responsiveness, and you get daily analysis of your riding 
if you're looking to go all in for the next 12 months, this is really where you would start. And the price here starts at 367 a month, which is great value if you're 100% focused on getting the greatest performance gains out of yourself. So the next two are group ones. And the first is club, where if you have a group of people together in a club situation, or an informal club situation where you're working towards a common goal, it can be really good to have similar training programs. So at least for one or two rides during a week, you can do the training together. Everybody gets a cycling analytics account. There are pre and post field test group consultations. There are pre and post event consultations. You have individualized training ranges and there's a monthly get together on Skype or whatever to talk about the training and just to get together to touch base and maintain that community feel. The real advantage here is the cost because it goes down to $65 per month, which is billed directly to each athlete. And you can start to see the advantage here. It's a minimum of six athletes, a maximum of 20. If you have a larger group, then we have to talk about some different terms. But this is a really good way if you're just working towards a sportif or something that being combined in a group really will make the difference to your motivation levels. But having that structure behind it will mean that everybody will move forward over the program. And the final one is a team. So this is when you have a team that may be a little more serious about moving towards certain goals over a season, whether they're races that people are trying to get to together, or you want to kind of coordinate your performances a little bit better. More falls under the performance management side of things, where not only do you get the training program, but you get twice monthly group consultations. And after any field tests, then I will actually go through and analyze the key workouts and races for power files and heart rate files and things so we can figure out who's on form before races and form a strategy around that before actually getting to the main race. Again, everybody gets a cycling analytics account and it's $90 a month billed directly to each athlete with a minimum of four athletes and a maximum of 10. I will also which I forgot to mention, reinvest 5% of the team's annual coaching fees back to the team so you can spend it however you want at the end of the season. So definitely, if you want to know more about these, you can email me at damien at semiprocycling.com or you can check out the information at the website starting at semiprocycling.com forward slash coaching. That's going to be the best way to get all of this information and go from there. And now to that quote from the top of the show, it's Miguel Big Mig Indurain visiting a cycling club that has people with and without disabilities. Pretty inspiring, actually. In that initial quote from the top of the show, he was actually giving a guy shit about him being overweight. He was weighing in at around 100 kilos when he started cycling. The guy happens to be a world champ now and has only one leg and one arm. That is an absolute champion. They were all stoked to see Big Mig, and why wouldn't you? The guy would just have an aura around him. I'm a big fan of Big Mig. He was the guy that introduced me to the tour back in the day. But anyway, that's a whole other story, and that's it from me this week. You have been listening to the Semi-Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash tech for any links used in this week's episode, including the products mentioned. From there, you can click on any coaching link on the site or visit semiprocycling.com forward slash coaching for more information on our coaching packages. But till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 